1: Today on the Optusport Football Podcast, I'm joined by former Leeds star Michael Bridges and journalist Tom Olnot as we hit the big world football topics, including Luis Rubiales and Jenny Hermoso, Barcelona starting a 16-year-old, and that Everton cannot seem to buy a point in the Premier League. I'm Phil Kitromelidis and welcome to the Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Optus Sport Football Podcast for the 23-24 season. Given Mark Schwartzer is currently being tucked into his bed at the pointy end of a plane heading to the UK, joining me, Phil kittram is former Leeds star and, depending on when you ask, at Newcastle,
2: Spurs and, of course, Leeds loyalist, Michael Bridges. Hello, Bridgie. Great to see you again. How's things? Now, listen, I was at the... I've got to run something by your early doors here and get it out of the way. Okay. I was at, I was at Old Trafford at the weekend. I was watching Manchester United against Nottingham Forest on the Saturday. Right. I was leaving Old Trafford, and unfortunately, the heavens opened. There was a hailstorm. I was caught in it. I was four hours of traffic, and I was very annoyed. However, having seen and witnessed what you've had to endure for twelve <laughs> hours, mate, tell us through it. what has happened. Ah, we're going straight into this. Okay, so on uh, Wednesday, I had the uh, bright
1: idea to try and get myself a Rio Vallecano season ticket. Uh, there were 612 of them going on mm-hmm. sale at 10am. And of course, Rio Vallecano are the only uh, professional team in Spain and maybe even Western Europe where you can't buy tickets online. Uh, so you had to queue <laughs> up. So I got to the stadium at 6am. It opened at 10am, the ticket office, and there were 280 people in front of me. I counted and i thought okay this should be okay and i didn't leave i didn't get my season ticket until 6 p.m. it was 40 oh, 40 that's... degrees celsius in madrid on that particular day there were no toilets. Well, that was stint. There were, You're one heroic man. There were no toilets. I felt, I felt like it was heroic. I felt like it was something that, you know, should be talked about. And I'm glad this is the first thing we're mentioning on the podcast today, Bridgie, because it was an odyssey. Uh, and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it's getting the recognition that, that it deserves. Um, <laughs> we've started well. Good. Um, Bridgie's not the only one joining me today. Uh, I've got European football journalist Tom Allnut, uh, who um, I, I know quite well. We uh, used to live here in, uh, in Madrid. So um, good to have Tom on the uh, on the show, Tom, um, I was trying to catch up on some of the work that you've done recently. So I googled you, and it seems like you haven't filed any work for about three weeks. Uh, I've had, have you been on holiday?
3: I wasn't expecting to have my work being analysed quite quite this early in the podcast. To be honest, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a good excuse. I've just had a. A third baby so um yeah i've been uh I've been off for a, for a couple of weeks wow. yeah. but thanks phil thanks for you know highlighting that to my employer uh, very kind of <laughs> you well you sound congratulations fresh. tom
1: yeah congrats
2: man
3: Thank you, you don't
1: sound Thank like in pieces which is good that bodes well for the for the rest of the podcast. So um, <laughs> it feels like you're you're with us um, mentally and, and physically.
3: We should also say, I think with Phil, that we, we can't have too much sympathy for him because he, he does this every year with Vario Vallec by He queues up every year for the season ticket. He knows what this club is all about. So why are we... If he had any sense, he would find a different team <laughs> where you can order a season ticket online, right? So I don't think... Heroic, kind of. I, I don't think so. Do I really. brought it on myself, didn't <laughs> I? Yeah, okay. I knew, I knew what I was getting into. But anyway, I'm excited because
1: I, I get to use it tonight um, at the time of recording. We're recording on Monday... And they're playing Atletico Madrid tonight, so I get to use it for the first time. I'm very excited. Um, because- well, Phil,
2: Phil, me, last me next question, and I'm staying on this topic. If they haven't got, if if you don't have electronic um, access power, what happens if you lose your season ticket? mate? Is that another twelve hour stint? I don't even want to that's think.
1: I don't even want to think what would happen if I lost a season <laughs> ticket. I'm keeping this in a safe at home and only taking it out <laughs> for games because I'm definitely not queuing up for twelve hours again. Um, that's um, that's for sure. Um, Fantastic. We go- we're going to talk about football. Obviously, we've got lots of uh, Premier League action to discuss, La Liga action to discuss, of course, but we're going to start off uh, with a story here in Spain that I'm sure that you've seen or heard about because it has become a massive news story worldwide. Uh, we're talking about the president of the Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, Uh, thinking that it was okay to kiss Spanish footballer Jenny Hermoso uh, after the World Cup final. Like I said, it's become a massive news story. It's getting really, really quite ugly. Luis Rubiales has been temporarily suspended by FIFA. He came out and gave a very belligerent, malevolent, unrepentant speech on Friday where he'd briefed the media that he was going to quit. He very much did not quit. He said five times shouting, I am not going to quit. So he hasn't quit, but he has temporarily been suspended by FIFA. The Spanish Football Federation are meeting today, uh, an urgent meeting on, on Monday to discuss where on earth they go from here. I just want to get like your guys' thoughts and what the, what has the reaction been where where, where you've been? Because obviously here in Spain, it's been massive, but it's sort of gotten steadily more important as the weeks as the week has gone on as the story has developed as there's been various facets to it and I think also the fact that people here have realized internationally this is a huge huge story which has given it more importance here in Spain so what's it been like in
3: the UK Tom? Well that was going to be my question Phil I wonder if if the kind of the the escalation of interest in this story in Spain has almost been a reaction to the international coverage because it, it sort of felt like initially this was a a story in Spain, but maybe something that might have kind of fizzled out with a weekend of La Liga, Real Madrid, Duke Bellingham, and then they would have kind of maybe quietly forgotten about it. But I think because it was such a huge thing here, I mean, it was literally not just leading the sports stories, it was leading the the, the news the news bulletins on the radios, you know, the BBC News was leading with it at one point as well. And um, I, I think people have been, you know, this is obviously something that sort of sort went beyond the World Cup, went beyond the football match. And obviously everyone realised this was a, a much broader issue. Um, I mean, was was your feeling that in Spain they sort of thought, oh, wow, this is being covered much more internationally. We better get on with it as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. And obviously you, you, you've lived here before, so you've got a pretty good understanding of, of how things are covered here. And I think you're absolutely right. Had it not sort of escalated so enormously worldwide, there is a chance that it could have been sort of swept under the carpet obviously Luis Royales wasn't going to apologize he would probably have uh, kept his position because he is a controversial figure and he has had some pretty massive controversies in the past and he has somehow managed to survive them it looks like he's, he's, he's not going to survive this but but yeah I think you're right had it not blown up internationally uh, we might be sitting here you know not even necessarily discussing
2: it because because it's been sort of swept away Bridget yeah but it hasn't and I, I can't understand how a man in his position doesn't actually understand what is right and what is wrong and how it how it how he seems to think that it is it, it was almost the right thing to do you know uh, and and what i didn't like the the uh, moment when he's come out and everybody thinks he was going to resign he said i will not resign i will mm-hmm. not resign i was not resign watching the footage made me feel sick because the the amount of m- males that were in that room applauding and clapping and you see the camera pan around, and there's you know the, the female ladies are they're sitting there and they're just looking around in disbelief at what is what almost like they you know we we were embracing what he, he had actually done when there was no consent given. So I'm um, I'm delighted that people are coming out and actually having a go, and you know the lionesses um, of England have actually come out and said they're in full support, and I think that's great because this 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 um, I don't think this will go away until he has actually resigned and is being stood down or whatever is going to happen, and. Uh, like I say, a person in his his position, I'm flabbergasted because I I'm, I work for as an ambassador at Leeds United football club. And every season we get taken and we get taken through the protocols um, with HR and they tell us the do's and don'ts, the things nowadays that you are not allowed to do. And, and everybody is, you know, has got to abide by the, the policies and the rules and regulations. And, you know, some of the things when you are getting pictures taken with children, don't put your arm around them, try to keep your hands by your side. Um, you can't just go up to the the staff members at the ground now and and, and embrace them. Uh, like people have done in the past you've got to ask if they if they would like to be you know given a hug or a handshake. Um, so for him not to recognize that and understand that, like yeah. I say, I'm dumbfounded. I think it's worth just giving a little bit of cultural context, which is that
1: here in Spain, people are quite tactile and it is very, very common when you're introduced to someone to give them two kisses on right. each cheek, even if you don't know them. I mean, <laughs> I'm very British in that respect still after 12 years here. I just uh, <clears throat> I put my hand forward and shake shake my hand because I'm not necessarily comfortable about giving two kisses to people I do not know. But But that is very, very common here. What isn't common... Is for a male boss to grab a woman and to kiss his uh, essentially his em- employee on the lips.
2: Employees, yes, yeah, of course. And that's that's what I'm yeah, saying. This, yeah. this is this is it's this is boss. something it's that boss. you should know as the bo- as a boss of a as a boss of an organization and a, a boss of a company, whatever, you know the protocols, you know what, what you can and can't do, or you should. And if you're not, you've got to be held accountable. And that's why this this thing will not go away until it is resolved.
3: Uh, in my opinion there are there are two things though that there's the incident itself which clearly was was completely beyond the pale but then also the reactions i mean you got the the one thing in the first place obviously was it was clearly a you know to put it kindly and a, a mistake a, a very bad error of judgment but then for the reaction to be so strong and so ignorant and so full of yeah. Um, yeah. arrogance and, and a lack of awareness i think is almost just as bad because if you kind of looked at it and said, okay, in the moment, you know, I got completely carried away. It was in a very emotional, um, a very emotional time. You know, we were obviously clearly hugely uh, ecstatic about the victory and I just got carried away and it was, it was uh, clearly an error of judgment on my part. I'm sorry. Uh, perhaps, perhaps I doubt it, but, I, but perhaps people might have said, okay, let, let's, you know, let, let's just accept the apology and, and move on. But the fact that he did it and then also even with a week and you know, even with seeing how many people are, Upset about it. How many people are saying they're not going to play for Spain? How many people are uh, all around the world writing about this as a as a huge yeah. uh, controversy? Even then, you know, still digging in and saying I'm not going to resign. I don't see how this is a how this is a is a problem. In my opinion, is almost just as just as um, disturbing and upsetting, really. Because, the, and I think this, it kind of reminds me. I don't know if you feel like this, Phil, but it reminds me of the kind of Vinicius junior um, racism issue that we had in La Liga almost throughout last season where we had Vinicius complaining and, and getting very upset about the, the, the clear racist abuse he was suffering on, on, on countless matches. And then we had Javier Tabas, Javier Tabas, president of La Liga, kind of telling Vinicius, you need to educate yourself about this issue. And it just feels like in in Spanish football, there is this idea that, you know, on these, on these issues that the victims are kind of the ones who are creating the, the story. And, and that's what we have here with with so as well, because you know the federation is suing her. They're saying you're lying, you're creating this issue, you're, you're you're fanning the flames when clearly it's it's the other way around. And and I think you know at the end of the day, we, we we know that the error was there in the first place, but the way it's been handled has almost, in my opinion, been just as Tom, you've, just ab- as you've absolutely nailed well. it. Tom, you've nailed it, absolutely
2: nailed it. It's magnified the whole situation, and I, th- I think it's really, really, it's really damning because what we should be talking about. Is the the Spanish success in winning the women's World Cup but it's it's overshadowed the whole thing and it's taken the tarnish and the you know the the, the history behind what has been achieved it's taken all that glory away and that that uh, that again is another sad side of it uh, just to put it into context five days after winning
1: their first ever World Cup every single member of the Spain squad said that they would not play for Spain if the situation wasn't resolved so to go from that to where we are now in five days, and for Ruby Alice not to realise that maybe, maybe I have done something wrong if we've <laughs> gone from this to this in five days, uh, just I think underlines the uh, the man, and uh, yeah, just the point that Tom was making, just how uh, uh, poorly, pathetically handled it's been
3: uh, since the uh, uh, huge, huge, huge mistake. Um, one one final point, just yeah. quickly to make about the overshadowing thing is, is I do agree with that. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's a huge shame at this moment that the Spanish women's football team are not getting more attention, not more more analysis about how how they won the tournament. But I do wonder if, in you know, ten, twenty, thirty years time, people will look back on this and actually say, strangely, that 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 kiss, that error of judgment from Rubiales, actually was the thing that did more for women's football in Spain more, or women's football more generally than than actually the tournament itself. You know, I mean, there is a a broader kind of issue, obviously, here about sexism in football and, and the progress of the women's game more generally. I, I saw a nice cartoon in, I think it was El Pais, that kind of said, you know, there was a, a sort of an image of a, of a young girl kind of talking to her, her grandma. And she kind of said, you know, tell me about how you won the World Cup. And the grandma kind of looks down and says, we didn't just win the World Cup, we won. Much, much more, you know, and I and I wonder if maybe in 20, twenty, thirty years' time, yes, it's a huge shame right now for those Spanish players, of course, but maybe actually this issue will will bring, hopefully, you know, the game forward in some way as well. Uh,
1: there needs to be massive change at the Spanish Federation, and as you said, hopefully, this will be some kind of catalyst. Whether it takes one to ten years, we'll see. Um, let's move on and uh, discuss uh, some action. That we saw in La Liga. We're going to start off uh, talking about La Liga uh, this week on the uh, on the podcast, and we want to talk about yet another Barcelona wonder kid. His name is Lamin Yamal, and he's 16. He played in Barcelona's 4 uh, 3 win over Villarreal at the weekend. He started, it was his second consecutive start after being pretty impressive in their win against Cadiz the previous weekend. In this game against Villarreal, he was absolutely extraordinary. He got, one, he got one assist officially and a second sort of assist because the, the fourth goal comes from a rebound from his shot off the post and and it was tucked home by, uh, by Lewandowski. But um, it was a, a really quite extraordinary performance from La Mal. And as we said, Barcelona have done it again. They're very famous for producing young players. And in this current squad, you've got the likes of uh, Gavi and uh, Balde and Ansu Fati who have all come through the... Barcelona Youth Academy and made their debuts as as teenagers. Pedri isn't a Barcelona Youth Academy player, but he's another young player that's, that's exploded. And they, they've done it again. And uh, you, you you were watching some of uh, La Yamal's performance at, at Bridget. And you were just uh, really excited at how silky and how skillful he is.
2: Yeah, there's nothing better than seeing a young talent with the... Uh, I say arrogance, and I mean that in a nice, way. the nice, positive way—the arrogance of being able yeah. to handle a ball and dribble with it, and play with a confidence that is just a joy to watch. And uh, it, it's almost like watching my my son and daughter when they play FIFA, and the ball just sticks to somebody's foot, and you just can't mm-hmm. you can't lose it. Uh, he he just glides with the with that ball, and what what I've got to say that the balance that he shows—no wonder they're all you know. There's been so many players that we've said over years, and and you get you get this tag, or oh, they're going to be the next such and such. You're going to be this. It, it, the messy tag is obviously going to come out and we, we, it already has been but he's just a, he's a beautiful player and, and at such a young age um, I, I was I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time when I made my debut at the age of 16 and a half um, for Sunderland there was a you know we win the championship we are in a lesser division there was a bit of a, a I don't want to use the word pandemic because we actually have been through one of them but at the time there was like a, a flu went through the club and there was a lot of a lot of lads were injured and I got my opportunity at a young time this lad has earned it off the merit that he is just an absolute superstar. Now, I wasn't. I was in the right place at the right time. I was ready. So, that just shows to be able to do it at Barcelona, this kid is going to be something special. And, and it is a joy to watch. Anything that entertains me with the football mm. is, is, is messy. And this kid has got, has got, got a, a bright, bright future. Uh, perhaps given a, a
1: start in the last
2: two games, because uh, Rafinha
1: was was suspended. I think Rafinha is going to find it very difficult to come back into the yeah. starting 11, given given what we've seen from uh, La Minha Mal. But yeah, Tom, like I said, it's just another one off the uh, La Masia production line. He's come straight into this starting 11, hasn't looked out of place. And as Bridgie said, he's got that arrogance, he's got that confidence, which tends to be imbued in young Barcelona players that come into the starting 11. They seem to all feel like yeah we we fit here we we belong here
3: yeah. yeah I mean he's got that kind of um I know it's a bit of a cliche but when you kind of say that fearlessness you know of a, of a kind of 16 year old he comes into the team and he's not sort of overthinking it you know that's what I like you can see with someone who's that young they're basically just playing like they did two or three years ago with their mates in the playground you know he's just Street running football. at people in Street football, enjoying the skills, enjoying kind of humiliating defenders, not just going past them, but kind of saying, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, you're going to have a really tough afternoon or, or 90 minutes, you know, and he can go one way or the other. He's quick, but he's got got good feet as well. Um, I mean, I think he's, you know, he looks like he's got everything. Obviously, you know, we have to put in the, the asterisks here. You know, it's very early days. Um, and we have seen this before at Barcelona. I mean, notably, it feels quite like Ansu Fati, right? You know, two or three years ago, kind of coming into the team extremely young. Um, breaking almost every record in terms of, you know, youngest assist, youngest hat-trick, youngest this, that, and the other. Um, and, you know, two or three years later, it, it, it slightly kind of um, drifted for Ansu, you know, because of injuries, because of lack of rhythm. And, and that can happen. You know, it's obviously very, very early. But what we're seeing from him at the moment, I think, is, is hugely exciting and a massive boost for Barcelona. I mean, there's nothing... Nothing more exciting and more unifying for fans, I think, particularly at a club like Barca, when you have a, a player like this come through. You know, you, you can feel the electricity in a stadium when they have a, a youth product like this who's clearly shining so early. You know, and um, yeah, they've done it again, haven't they? I mean, I as mean, it, well, it, it kind of speaks to that thing with the Premier League a spending. You know, hundreds of millions more than every other league in Europe right now. But still, you know, clubs like Barcelona, clubs like Real Sociedad, clubs like Sevilla—you know—they're still producing these kind of gems. And, and and as long as they do, you know, these these leagues are, in my opinion, always going to be competitive.
1: Uh, I'm not sure if there might be some kind of uh, record here. The guys, the stats guys, probably know. But uh, uh, Laminia Malza assist to Gavi—he's 16 and gavi's 19 i'm not sure if there's been a younger combination of a sister to scorer uh, certainly in uh, in la liga but yeah absolutely terrifying terrifyingly young uh, lemeña mal by the way suggestions here in spain that he's going to be named in the in the spain national team uh, this week for their uh, upcoming uh, international fixtures because uh, he was born and raised in Spain but to Moroccan parents so he can play for Morocco but if he plays for Spain in a competitive fixture then they've got him locked in for the future so suggestions that that is going to happen uh, this week let's see how lamini Mal gets on a lot of people here in Spain, and I've been reading a lot about him and listening to a lot of radio debates about him, people saying, you know, let's not get carried away, let's not get carried away. And then everybody's getting wildly carried away because it's <laughs> it's difficult not to. So we're going to try and not fall into that trap. But yeah, felt that we had to talk about him because it was a really, really eye-catching performance from Laminia Mal in what was a really exciting game, completely open, completely wild. And he sort of brought a bit of calm to that in the eye of the storm uh, Lamin Yamal was that was the man to watch um i'm i'm
3: interested as a as a journalist michael when when you were when you were coming through did you find when people kind of compared you to xy and z you know brilliant players did you enjoy that because you often hear that managers kind of say you know let's let's not talk too much let's not get too carried away but I, I wonder if actually the player kind of really actually you know walks around with a bit of a swagger at the training ground where they've been compared to some brilliant legend in the past who were you compared to Bridget? Well,
2: tell us well do you, do, you know, do you know what it is I, back in the day I'll never forget I was, I was coming through the there was a local journalist called Ian Murtagh um, in the northeast of England he said and did a big headline, Michael Bridge is going to be the next Marco Van Basten. And I remember seeing Peter Reed at the training ground annihilating this guy at the side. And I'm thinking, what, what what's going on over there? And it, it was Ian, I, Till I saw him years later, he actually said, Peter Reed had a right go at me for building you up and bigging you up. And I remember saying to Ian, well, I actually went off and I printed off all them. The whole, <laughs> I went and bought as many as I could. And I was sticking around the <laughs> training ground going, yep, I'm going to be the next Marco Van Basten. Because at the time, like he, he was a... Sp- you know, special special player, and just to think, like it, it was something that an English youngster had been. You know, I, I hadn't been said, oh, he's going to be the next Alan Shearer, he's going to be the next Teddy Sharon. It was actually a bit. I used to think Van Van Basten had a bit of class about him, and I thought even even just to be mentioned in the same breath as that man was a was a, a great moment for me. Never came anywhere near emulating what he did, but it was it was <laughs> it was nice to be mentioned.
1: And you've got the papers as a memory as well, you know. You got I've all got printed the papers as a memory. The headlines. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, I uh, want to quickly mention that obviously, obviously, Jude Bellingham scored again for Real Madrid. Three consecutive matches he's played for Real Madrid. He scored four goals, he scored in each of the games and he was the a match winner in a, not a particularly brilliant game against uh, Celta Vigo, but he popped up and again it was a kind of centre-forward-ish goal. And we spoke quite a lot about Jude Bellingham uh, last week and indeed the week before because he's been making headlines here in Spain.
2: But again, he's popping up with these centre-forward goals, Bridget. We've got to talk about them, Phil. We've got to. I said to you last week, the headlines that Optus put out was, you know, the signing of the season around Europe, if not the world. Um, And yet he's gone and done it again. Man, this... I, I. I can't praise this guy enough because what I love love about me performance is performances on the pitch. He lets the football do the talking, but actually, when you hear him speak himself, he is so mature and so calculated with everything he says. I think if you if if you were managing. Or, Obviously, a manager of him at the football club, but if you were his agent or whoever advised him he, he's an absolute dream you 've got nothing to worry about he's ta- everything's taken care of, and that's why Real Madrid have got a player that is going to be clear headed and he's going out there and he's performing and he's being given a new lease of life like a sorry a new a new role which he's adapted to and embraced and he's scoring goals for fun now he wasn't known for that he was known for breaking up playing, you know being the one that was the, when, when Dortmund were playing out, he was the pivot that was getting on the ball and opening up and playing the balls through the lines and through the thirds. He's now given that another sight to his game. So God knows what he's worth now, but it's, he's, he's fantastic. I love him.
3: I think it's sickening how easily he's settled into La Liga. Where, where where are all the kind of, you know, stories about not being able to speak English, not being able to find his local, you know, chippy or whatever it is, you know, like he just literally is there. He's scoring goals straight away. Like, I mean, I just think it, it's almost annoying. There's no kind of, he's like that kid in the class who just like gets all the great grades, like straight away. You know, it's, it's just, good at everything. just, yeah, come on, give us, give us something, Jude. But um, no, I mean, fantastic. I mean, I, I wonder if, you know, there was this idea, someone said to me that they, that Real Madrid were kind of playing him a bit further forward because they were, you know, obviously Belliam's got everything. But if there were any doubts about his game, it was that maybe in, in kind of tight areas in his own his own third, you know, receiving the ball kind of on the half turn, they thought that maybe he needed to kind of work on that area of his game before they kind of put him into that position. And so they were going to play him a bit further forward just to sort of give him the freedom early on to kind of... Um, to exploit his more creative talents. But I mean, obviously he's playing this role so brilliantly that I wonder if they might think actually let's just let's just stick with this because you know we know Belliam can do everything as a central midfielder, but he's he's showing himself as a as a fantastic attacking outlet. And while Real Madrid are sort of trying to recover post-Benzema and post you know not having a striker, as it were, you know, how useful it is to have someone who can score goals from midfield. Certainly is. Uh,
1: Four goals from uh, his first three games. All three matches have been away from home as well. Real Madrid uh, play their first game at home next weekend. It's a local derby against Getafe. Make sure you you stay up and watch that one to to see the inevitable Jude Bellingham goal. Uh, That's uh, it for our look at La Liga. But after the break, we're going to be talking about the
0: Premier League.
1: So it's the optus sport football podcast and we're talking now uh, about the premier league uh lots for us to get through actually because there were some really really uh, interesting storylines storylines we're gonna we're gonna start actually and don't worry we will get to spurs and Ange Postecoglou and his uh fantastic uh, uh what he's been doing at spurs is amazing we'll get to that in a second but we're going to start with a slightly uh perhaps a story that maybe isn't uh, the biggest but it's an interesting one everton losing their first three games of the Premier League uh, without scoring for the first time in their history. Very, very proud uh, and traditional club, club Everton, and this is their worst ever Premier League start. Now, I said on the preview pod with, uh, with Mark a few weeks ago that when we were talking about who could be the first manager to get the sack, I, I put the name Sean Dyche in as an outside suggestion simply because the pressure on Everton Absolutely huge uh, coming off the back of last season's disaster. And the fact that they don't have much money to, to change things around if, if they didn't start well. Well, they haven't started well. They've started really, really badly. And um, the
2: pressure's already on Sean, Sean It It's incredible. I I mean, the, the one that gets me is that obviously the three games they haven't won, but they haven't scored a goal because unless you've seen the matches you might just look at that result and go oh everton they're dead and buried they're done and dusted the chances that they have created the shots that they've had on target they're in the top i think there were there was 40 odd shots in the the matches they they're in the top 5 of shots and chances created in the premier league just behind Man City, I think they're sitting second with the chances created. They just haven't been able to convert them. Now, that that is, it, the, when you're a manager and you're looking at that coaching staff, there's a worrying side to it because you've got nobody that can put the ball in the net. But on a coaching aspect, you're thinking, hang on, my job is to get the players to get these chances in the final third. We can't put the ball in the back of the net. So Sean Dyche and his staff will be sitting there scratching their heads. It's not going to help Everton fans out any <laughs> very much. But what I will say to Everton fans, that at least there is a style or you're getting them chances. It's just who is going to be the one that's going to step up and get everything out of this um, plight that they are in, and and I hope they do. There, you know, the history is, is is crazy, but the start of the season falling on from what happened last season, I really do fear for them, Phil. I've got to say that.
1: Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point that you made because looking at their XG across the uh, uh, the first three games, the expected goals has been four point five, I think, or four point six. Like yeah. they should, they should Which have is scored. Madness
2: to think they haven't scored.
1: And particularly against Wolves, they they lost 1-0 against Wolves, by the way, we didn't mention that, the actual score, but they lost 1-0 to Wolves. They really, really should have scored. Dan Danjuma had an unbelievably good chance through on goal. The Wolves goalkeeper, by the way, made one of the saves of the season as well, and it looked like there was, there was going to be a goal. So, yeah, uh, in terms of creating chances, but if you don't finish them, you're going to be in, in serious trouble, Tom.
3: Yeah, and I mean, we you know, we always expect a Sean Dyche team to be solid and, and defensively resilient, organised. And I think just as much as the Warriors, they're not scoring, they're also not defending particularly well either. I mean, you know, these are two home games they've had so far against Fulham at home, Wolves at home, you know, and they've lost both. And those are two matches that you'd really think against kind of fellow relegation contenders, if you like, that they needed to take some points from. And then the one game against the sort of you know what we what we imagine will be a European contender. They got hammered by Aston Villa four 0 away. So, you know what what are the weapons that Everton have? You know, I always think if you're going to stay up, you have to have something. You know, have to be, maybe it's home form, maybe it's you know you score a lot of goals, maybe it's you're very hard to beat. I don't really see Everton with any of these weapons. You know, th- I don't think they're going into the fight with any guns at the moment. And you know, it's hard to see it's hard to see where where the enthusiasm and positivity is coming from. I mean, you know, th- they've hardly done anything in the transfer market. I think they spent. Money on one signing this summer. We know they're facing a kind of a, a, a hearing in October. I think it is about their financial um, spending, and you know, which suggests they're not going to suddenly spend loads of money in the last few days of the transfer window. This is a club, I think, that, is, that has been on a downward trajectory for a long time. Every season kind of just scrambling to survive. And it looks like this season could be the moment when it all catches up with them. We have said that before about Everton and they always seem to find a way. But at some point, you know, it feels like they're going to have to, uh, have to face up to, 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 to where they are at.
1: Away to Sheffield United next weekend if they lose that. Um, yeah, they will be in uh, really, really dire, dire straits uh, and uh, we'll see how long uh, Sean Dyches has got if they lose that. If they win, then, you know, it could be a catalyst to, to kickstart their season. Who knows? But difficult times for uh, Everton. <clears throat> Quite the opposite for Spurs. Forgive the uh, overly hey. cheery tone. You got here, very,
2: but... very excited there, Phil. <laughs> you the know tone's you gone know what, up what, a whole Bridget. new level.
1: <laughs> I am. I am excited. And I'm going to level with the listeners yeah. here. Obviously, I live and I work in Spain and my job is to cover Spanish football. I am a Spurs fan. I've been a Spurs fan since I was five. But moving to Spain and, and getting really immersed in Spanish football, it is difficult to follow English football as much as you would like. And it has been difficult for me to to follow Spurs as much as I would like. Last season, and towards, certainly towards the back end of last season, I was disillusioned with Spurs. I wasn't watching the games. I was looking out for the results and reading yeah. and maybe seeing highlights. But I wasn't going, you know, I really need to watch the game. Now, Watched all three games, fully on board the the posteco club bus. I'm genuinely excited and I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. This is what he has imbued to, uh, to Spurs fans. But we've spoken about this before, about him being seemingly a perfect match in terms of personality, character. But also football as well. The game is about glory, and and Ange has certainly brought that aspect to it as well. I think this was the best performance of the of the three matches that they have played so far. They were completely in control. You know, arguably possibly the easiest of the of the three games away to Brentford, home to Manchester United, and away to Bournemouth. But I felt they were really really in control of this game and uh, worthy
2: worthy winners and another clean sheet, Bridget. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's the clean sheet. You know, Ange is known for his attacking football, the possession-based style. I, I agree with you, Phil. They, they controlled the game absolutely beautifully. You know, dictating play when they needed to, and, and and the opportunities were going to come. But for me, the impressive side of it is also the clean sheet. Yeah, I love watching the way Ange sets his teams up, and I was so happy when he got a chance in the Premier League just so he could showcase. There were so many question marks in in years gone by. You know, who is Ange Postacoglu? What is he all about? I've always had belief in this guy. I've always followed his career very, very closely because of the coaching pathway that I've taken myself, going through a different avenue of coaching in AFC to get my pro diploma rather than the UEFA. Um, I went through it and I saw what Ange was doing. He thinks outside the box. And you now everybody is seeing Ange ball. And the favourite part for me, when you know somebody is doing very well, the fans sing songs about you. Ange's got another song sung about him. My favourite, it's Robbie Williams' "The Angels" song. We're loving Ange Ball instead. It's just, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just brilliant. So I, I'm delighted for him. And like you say, for Spurs fans this season, win, draw, lose, they're going to have smiles on their faces because of the football that you know that Tottenham fans have been thrived starved of for the last two seasons, two or three seasons.
1: Uh, you can keep your Pochettino, Conte, and Mourinho, and even Christian Gross. I'm loving Ange Ball instead. Yeah, it's a it's a terrific turn, and I think it is indicative of how Spurs fans are, are feeling and have taken very much to um, to Ange.
2: Phil, before we bring Tom in here, I just want to ask. I just want to mention another thing as well. What I, what I really admire about him, the way he's able to c- handle the media. Um, be, you know, he he's a very very tough character. He 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 does his homework. He does his research. There was a great moment though. The other, the other day, I was watching Joe Cole was asking him a few questions about playing with his inverted fullbacks, and he'd getting them into the midfield, and he can open up the passing lanes out to um, Son and Kulisevsky by narrowing off. And um, he said, "How are you doing it without giving too many secrets away?" And it it, it was just a lovely response from. Him. He just said, "I'm just copying Pep mate." Uh, and straight away he just nullifies the situation he's a, he's a very very smart man in that regard you know he wins he wins people over with his with his humor which not many people see that he has that side as well
1: Uh, We're going to hear from him in just a moment because Optusport spoke to Anja after the game and uh, we'll we'll play what he said uh, in just a second. But yeah, Tom, I mean, the the, the transformation around Spurs has been uh, pretty uh, monumental to see. I mean, you may or may not have certain affiliations with the Tottenham as well. So uh, you uh, personally will be very happy to see it. But also you cover Spurs as well quite a lot for the times. And and from a professional point of view and, and seeing how they're performing, this was another really strong performance.
3: Yeah, and what's remarkable there is, we you know we've spoken about Spurs for what four or five minutes, and 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 nobody's mentioned Harry Kane, you know, and, and he was sold two or three days before their first match, you know, clearly this, the the team's best player looked like he was basically dragging the team through the mud last year. I mean, and here we are a couple of weeks on, and and I wouldn't say he's a forgotten man, but Spurs look like they are at least surviving for ne- for now without him. I mean, I, I think there was always a thing with with Kane leaving that actually, you know, I wouldn't ever say it would be a positive for Spurs because he's, a, he's obviously a huge loss. But I think for Postacoglu himself, personally, I, I wonder if it does give him a little bit more Authority, particularly at the club, but also freedom in a way to kind of build this team in, in a way that he likes to. You know, we know that Postecoglou's teams in the past have been based around a kind of a centre forward that's maybe slightly more of a runner, more of a linker than 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 Kane, who obviously is you know a fantastic player and always. But you know, he, all the goals go through Kane. You know, whereas I think almost Kane leaving has allowed Spurs to kind of distribute the sort of the the creative authority around the team a little bit more. Um, Let's see. I mean, it's early days. It's been a fantastic start. I, I, I do think there'll be some bumps down the road, but in terms of the kind of the connection with the fans, you know, we have to remember this is, this is a club now that post Pochettino hired Mourinho, hired Conte, with the idea that they would kind of get over the line, that they would take that final step to winning a trophy, and they kind of sacrificed, I think, everything else. You know, all the values, all the DNA, all the all the stuff that Spurs fans think that the club represents. And and I think the big sacrifice there was the fans sort of lost what you're saying, Phil. They lost a sort of a feeling of actually caring really about about the team anymore. Yeah. You know, there, there was a sort of a real loss of a they loss of connection with, with the side, loss of identity, absolutely. And I think what Postecoglou has brought back in a very very short space of time is this sense actually that the fans are looking forward to to, to watching matches again, that they feel like to, 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 you know, get a little bit cheesy, they feel like they've got their Tottenham back, you know, and I think, that is a that is a huge um, that's a huge thing you know that, that that gives a huge kind of sense of of, of forward momentum at this point point. Um, and that listen that comes from the style of play but it also comes from Postacoglu's personality you know a lot of a lot of last season Conte was spent you know making excuses about you know we haven't spent this much you know I need more players the mentality isn't good enough yada 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 Postacoglu is a is a builder you know he's someone who likes to make the most of what he's got um, and we're suddenly seeing players like Besuma uh, uh, you know. Madison, of course, but, you know, lots of other players in this team, Papamate Saar, for example, was suddenly coming out of the woodwork and, and looking like looking like stars. And I think that is the the early evidence of, of good coaching. Uh,
1: so let's hear from uh, Ange, who uh, spoke to uh, Optus Sport after that 2-0 victory against Bournemouth. Really satisfied with the performance, but not getting carried away yet.
4: Very good result. And I thought our performance was, um, yeah, it was pretty good. There. Especially first half, I thought we played with some really good football Um you know, we knew Bournemouth would put us under some pressure and I thought we handled that really well. Um, second half didn't start uh, as well as we'd like, but I thought you know, once we got the second goal, we got control of the game again. Um, yeah, always difficult to win away from home in the Premier League, so um, I thought uh, there was some encouraging signs. It's three games into a 38-game year, so uh, good start, but plenty to do.
1: Uh, Ange, obviously, you're very happy, but clearly... He's, he's right. It's only three games into a 38-game season. And I seem to remember Nuno Espirito Santo winning his first three games as well. And, and Spurs being top of the table after after three matches. And that not You've very just had to word. spoil that, didn't you? You had to spoil it. <laughs> I, I think we need to be realistic here because it could come back to haunt us. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's gone very well uh, so far. Uh, Tom, you mentioned someone that I think it's uh, important for us to discuss because it was another... Big performance uh, from James Madison and uh, Optus Sport also spoke to Ange uh, about that player uh, after the game.
4: There was wasn't anyone happier than me when we got him. You know, I was delighted. I, I, and to be fair, I, I, I've even sort of you know, not I wouldn't say surprised, but I'm, I'm overjoyed at the footballer I've got. You know, just to, and, and you know just the way he's embraced the whole club. You know where he's at in his life. He really wants to be. The person who, you know, is that creative force for us, and yeah, if we got him in the bargain bin, mate, whatever you want to call, it, that's great for us. Uh,
1: so yeah, okay, uh, a forty-five million pound bargain. I think he is a forty-five million pound bargain to be honest, because uh, the way he's slotted into this Spurs team, Madison has been has been a, a terrific buy, and genuinely someone that Spurs fans can get excited to watch. And he seems to understand what the what the manager wants of him so far.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember a kind of a player looking more well suited to a club and, and a club more well suited to a player than, than James Madison. I mean, it, it just seems like the perfect fit. Um, you know, he slotted into that position. Spurs really needed creativity last season and and he is now, you know, providing that. I mean, I think Spurs, ever since they lost Christian Eriksen, have been crying out for this player and Madison has just really hit the ground running. I mean, I mean, we all know what a fantastic player he is, but I also think that he's bringing a sort of sense of leadership to the Spurs team. You know, it, without Harry Kane there, Son has been made captain by Postecoglou. Uh, Madison is, is one of the vice captains, and you know, I think you can see that on the pitch. You know, he, he's he's directing players not just with his passes but also with his voice. I think you know he's a massive, uh, very charismatic presence in the dressing room. I mean, this is just a, a real sort of Tottenham through and through kind of player, right? And and I mean, you know, the fact that they got him for sort of 40, 45 million when you are looking at other midfielders were going this transfer market for, for over one hundred million, I think it does look like a bargain, you know. I think Spurs have got a, a fantastic signing. He's twenty six. He's got a lot of years still left in him, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think he's a he's ready made for Spurs to be to be a fantastic player this season. Do you know what he is, Tommy? He's
2: actually, the I'm a, I'm a proper stats geek. I love looking at stats of touches, uh, you know, goal, the, the goal XP, the heat maps and things like that. He, he He's only been involved a short time with Tottenham Hotspur and that game against Bournemouth. The, the touches, if you have a look at the, the, the map of where he got his touches on the field, they were scattered everywhere. He had the most touches that he's ever had in a defensive third of the field, as well as the attacking field. Um, and I'm just given that license to go and be, uh, you know, all go and get us the attacks and go and get us the assists and the goals, but also we need you to be so vital in getting the ball and playing through the thirds at the back. And the amount of times you saw Madison get the ball and spin out from the the you know the back the back four, the midfield three was absolutely brilliant. The way he, the way he's able to turn and shift his body and know where the, the player and the contact is coming from. That That is the sign of a, a, a quality player. And he's 26. The energy levels to be able to do that is also scary. He looks so lean and a man with a purpose. So for me, when you've got a player, when Anja's got a player like that at his disposal for the price they got him for, and he did have a laugh saying it was a bargain, he knows down, deep down that that is an absolute snip um, for what they have got.
1: It certainly feels like that, doesn't it? Um, forgive us, listeners, for dwelling so much on Spurs, obviously. We're not doing it because we're Spurs fans. This is an Australian podcast. It is an Australian manager in the Premier League, and he's started absolutely brilliantly. So we, we, we had to give a, a decent chunk of the podcast over to uh, to Spurs and, and discussing what's gone on so far. Seven points from nine. It's a good start, but still 35 matches to go. Um, speaking of being fans of uh of teams the executive producer of the podcast is a newcastle fan and he very noticeably left off the running order uh, newcastle's game against liverpool at the weekend which uh, ended in a, a 2-1 victory for liverpool fortunately uh bridgie you were there you were at st james's park to uh, to yeah. witness the game so we can go really in depth on how newcastle managed to uh, managed to lose this game after liverpool lost virgil van Dijk uh, early on to a really quite bizarre red card um I know you've got some strong feelings yes. on this. I, I heard I've, a lot of people I've talking got... about this red card. I couldn't believe it was a red card when I saw it. I wasn't watching the game live. I went back
2: and saw it. And I said, that's the red card? That's that's really quite strange. Well, well this is my moment. This is why I'm going to upset all Newcastle United fans. And I'm going to upset a lot of Liverpool fans as well. Because the red card for Virgil, Virgil van Dijk... If that's a red card, the game is gone. I thought that decision was an absolute joke. Now, Virgil van Dijk might be in a lot more trouble because of the verbal abuse he gave the referee and the fourth official as it happened. Um... For me, I don't see how Isak is with his touch is in on goal. His touch was away from goal. Yes, there's contact. I thought it was a free kick outside the box and a yellow card. However, the referee had an absolute shocker before that in the first four minutes of the game when Trent Alexander Arnold kicked the ball away or threw the ball away. That's an automatic book in these days. And about a minute later, Anthony Gordon goes past Trent Alexander Arnold with absolute ease. And Trent's only got one thing to do. He puts his arm across him, in just around the neck below, uh, above his shoulders, and blatantly brings him down. I call it a cynical foul, which for me is a straight another yellow card. He should have been red carded there. The referee bottled that moment of the game because it was so early, um, and he, he, you know, it, it it sent Newcastle fans absolutely furious as well. As it did in the sideline. However, I felt for Liverpool for the red card with Van Dijk, uh, and there was a huge stat. This is Newcastle fans are talking about wanting to be title contenders this year. The, the, the stats that are against Newcastle, they lost to Liverpool twice last season. They lost to most of the teams that finished above them, and as as that tends to tends to happen. So they had an opportunity here against 10 men at home. They're 1-0 up against Liverpool. You're thinking, can we change the record books? Because Liverpool had already won nine games in the past against them. The drone drawn four. They'd never lost. In the biggest stat that came out of this one, I, knew, I told you I was a stats man, Eight times in the Premier League that Newcastle played them at home. Newcastle had led four times and they'd never won. This was the fifth time that they'd led and look what happened. Liverpool found a way. So there was two big moments in this game that changed it. It was the substitutions for me. Newcastle couldn't find a way to get the second goal. He took off Anthony... anyhow. took off um, Anthony Gordon who was having a field day against Trent Alexander because he was already booked. He couldn't touch him. He came off and Harvey Barnes came on. Not a bad substitution but he didn't impact the game. Jota came on for Liverpool, Nunez came on for Liverpool, and Harvey Elliott came on. The three players completely changed the game because they went. Elliott gave them defensive security, and Nunez and Jota played on a, a, up front with Salah. And the pace of them was so dynamic. Newcastle, it, it turned into a basketball game at the end. It was almost like looking at ten against ten. So Newcastle have got this only got themselves to blame because the the opportunity. They found themselves in front of, could have changed all the record books and sadly they couldn't do it. And I saw a different side to Liverpool having to play very defensively um, instead of pressing and they found a way. Now that is the sign that Jurgen Klopp, um, that's where he uses class, these managerial skills.
1: Uh, we uh, heard we heard we heard Eddie Howe after the first game when they beat uh, Aston Villa five one, and I uh, think he, he said the the phrase, you know, we we can dream, we can dream when asked about potentially challenging for the for the title. Back to back defeats against City and Liverpool, narrow defeats, and certainly, um, you know, in large parts of both games they actually did all right. Uh, do you think that's subdued them, uh, Tom, in terms of the euphoria that was uh, surrounding uh, Newcastle? Do you think that there is a chance that they could? Push for the, the the title, or is this a bit of a reality check?
2: No,
3: I don't think so. I mean, I, th- I think against City, they they played pretty well. I mean, there's no disgrace in losing one nil to City, and I think this match they let it get away from them. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those kind of games where. I mean, Newcastle aren't necessarily a young team, but it, it felt like a sort of a bit of naivety. Um, you know, aside side who are still kind of getting to grips with with leading in these kind of big games against big opponents. You know, there's you have to basically finish them off. You know, and that's the key with Liverpool. If, if you're if you're one 0 ahead, you know, and there's ten minutes to go, whether it's eleven v ten or eleven v eleven, you know, they've they've got a chance. They've got the players who can who can who can who can find a moment, and that's what happened. You know, Salah plays a brilliant through ball, and Nunez, you know, hits the far corner. I mean, I think we should. Say two absolutely fantastic finishes, you know, from a from a striker. There've been huge question marks over, you know, massive fee. No one's quite sure if he's going to end up being, you know, the the next, uh, you know, Luis Suarez or the or the next Roberto Soldado, you know. And and this showed, you know, that what Darwin Nunes can do. I mean, I think we know he can run. We know he can. Uh, jump and head and, and bring other players into play. The kind of the big asterisk with him has always been: can he can he finish? You know, can he show that kind of ice ice cold in his veins when he kind of gets in the box? And if he can provide this kind of ruthlessness for Liverpool, then they've got suddenly a, a, a brilliant brilliant striker on their hands. Um, I think, as a I, to be honest, you know, to go to your question, I think it's more of a, a big result. For Liverpool, it's, it's a landmark kind of statement performance from them. I think Newcastle will be fine. I think they'll be up there. I don't think they're going to win the league, but I think they'll be right up there this season. For Liverpool, it's the kind of result that provides belief, you know, provides momentum. You know, they've had a shaky start on the pitch, definitely a very wobbly start off the pitch. This is the kind of result that could really kind of unify the team again, um, you know, to come come from 1-0 down with 10 men and to win this match with a striker coming off the bench and scoring two goals like that. Fantastic, fantastic result, and uh, got, to, got to give a, a quick a, a real shout
2: out for them. Got to give a quick shout out as well, Tom, um, to the goalkeeper Allison, because at one end of the field, Nunez was obviously, like you say, world class finishing. There was some saves in this game from Allison, which were absolutely incredible, especially a one from um, Miggy Almer on a volley. So um, how he saved it, I don't know. Matip has still got his hands on his head, looking at his goalkeeper in disbelief, going, "What have I just witnessed? One of the greatest saves um, in, in Liverpool's history that." And then get, and then getting back to the to to Darwin Nunez, I've if Tom mentioned there, I've questioned in the past the amount of chances that he was in last season in the same position as he found himself in at Saint James's Park in the Newcastle game, and he. he I was always questioning how he was dragging so many shots wide. He didn't seem to have that contact on the ball. It just wasn't happening from his pace is dynamic. Yes, his movement is brilliant to get in the position, but I always questioned his return rate. Now, this moment in this game, the way he came on and did that with the two finishes that Nick Pope had his angles absolutely spot on. They were they they weren't inch perfect. They were that strike was millimeter perfect. This this for me now has said that Nunez has arrived in the Premier League and um he can go on to a whole new level from the confidence that he's gained from this game, even considering that he didn't start the game. He's thrown the Gauntlet down to the manager and the rest of the strikers in the Premier League to say, you know, I, I'm here and I, I'm in, I'm gonna be up for this golden boot this season. Um, quickly, want to also get your thoughts on uh, what happened at Old Trafford
1: because you were there to witness Manchester United come from 2-0 down to beat uh, Nottingham Forest 3-2. Boy, they needed that, Bridgie.
2: Yeah, they certainly did. The protests were there. It was a very strange atmosphere going to Old Trafford. Um, you could tell there was a lot of tension with all the things that have been going on off the field for them um, with obviously the ownership and and, and um, other things with, with, with a player, um, but and, and the results, obviously, the start little stutter at the start. But what they did do, four or five minutes into the game, they're 2-0 down, and I'm in disbelief. Uh, the player, Wanyi, who you know scored in seven successive Premier League games first, I think uh, the only other two African players to do so was Adebayol and Mo Salah. So he's in he's in top pedigree, this guy. Um, and Nottingham Forest can't wait for the window to shut any quicker so they can keep a hold of him. I think we might see Johnson go... Um, out from Forest, but they, they had a 2-0 lead at Old Trafford and the gount that was thrown down, the questions were asked by the fans, what are you going to do? Now Manchester United then absolutely controlled the whole game um, and I just got a sense that some we were going to witness something special and we did and it was Bruno Fernandes obviously that got the penalty, the deciding moment um, with another VR decision where I felt was the right one. I do think that Bruno Fernandes would have got the ball. Um, Turner, the goalkeeper, didn't come out when there was a the red card for Worrell But there was a special atmosphere. Now a special atmosphere after that. However, the protest. There's still a lot going on. But I think that result for Manchester United, the way they showed resolve, they didn't go under in front of their home fans when they could have so easily done so because the atmosphere was so toxic. They found a way to put a smile on their their fans' faces and they played with it. I've got to say, the tactics were brilliant. And Cooper will be in disbelief and be absolutely gutted that his team did just sit back and allow Manchester United to dictate play. Uh,
1: interesting looking game next week, Tom. Arsenal against Manchester United.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the one, isn't it, We kind of think we'll get a much better gauge of where United are at. I mean, it has been a, a shaky start from them. You know, obviously, that sort of really... Dis- I mean, they won, beat Wolves, They played terribly, lost to Spurs, and then, you know, you can look at it either way. You can't you? that game against Forest. they either a heroic kind of trademark comeback from United or, you know, you were 2-0 down to the team that can't win away from home. Um, so yeah, I think next weekend against Arsenal, you know they need to step up at least you know two or three levels if they're going to compete at the Emirates. But it'll be a, a game which tells us a lot more about where Manchester United are at.
1: Uh, they've got a really strong home record, uh, Manchester United in the Premier League. They're unbeaten since uh, since Brighton won there at the start of uh, last season. Away though, um, it's not been the, the same case. And obviously on their last trip to North London, they were they were beaten by Spurs. And it feels like that next trip to the Emirates Bridge is, is is a big one for both teams as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it certainly is, and a, a game a game that we've thrived on and relished in the past. When I've mm-hmm. looked at it, you know, I bring back the days of Roy Keane up against Patrick Vieira in the tunnel before the a ball was even kicked. So yeah, this this is going to be on the on the on the definitely on the watch list. Um, it's a must not miss game. This
1: absolutely. Um- I think we're going to leave it there. So thanks uh, to both of you guys for joining us on the uh, uh, Optus Sport Football Podcast uh, this week. Next week we we do expect Mark Swartcher to be back and raring to go. So uh, we'll look forward to having him back and to having you, dear listener, back as well. Uh, a reminder that every game of the Premier League and La Liga is live each week on Optus Sport. We have the European qualifiers in the next fortnight and the FIFA Women's Super League returns in October for what will be a massive campaign with no fewer than eight Matildas starring the English. Clubs. Uh, thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, and we'll see you next time.
3: And through it, oh we'll play the way we want to. With big edge pasta cargo, whether we'll I'm right or wrong. It's big edge Ball So you can keep your pottachito. Can't contem- say and even Christian grows, cause everywhere we go, I'm loving big engines instead.